Welcome to St. Paul's Church. My name is Rainy Dankel, and on behalf of the worshiping community here, I'm honored to welcome you to the 2020 Lenten Lecture Speaker Series. The theme of our series this year is Leaning into Love. Our speakers will help us explore this topic through their own stories, their own narratives, and their own religious traditions. Our speaker today is Dr. Archana Patak. Dr. Patak is a diasporic feminist scholar activist who examines issues of race, class, gender, sexuality, nationality, and scientific imperialism from a social justice perspective. She teaches in the Department of Gender, Sexuality, and Women's Studies at Virginia Commonwealth University, and we are so honored to have her with us today. Before we hear from Dr. Patak, we'll have a prayer and then sing a hymn. During the hymn, we will take up a collection, and your donations will be used to help with the expenses of this ministry. Again, welcome to St. Paul's. May God bless this experience as we all lean in to love. Let us pray. O God, you made us in your own image. Look with compassion on the whole human family. Take away the arrogance and hatred which infect our hearts. Break down the walls that separate us. Unite us in bonds of love and work through our struggle and confusion to accomplish your purposes on earth, that in your good time, all nations and races may live in harmony, justice, and peace. Amen. Our hymn for today is found in the red hymnal in the pew rack in front of you. We will sing hymn number 408. Number 408.
Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for that lovely introduction. Every time I hear my bio, I think, I've got to come up with less words. <laughs> um, I'll start with a prayer to Lord Ganesh. Lord Ganesh is the remover of all obstacles and the, and the deity that we pray to first whenever we engage in any act uh, in Hinduism. Vakratunda Mahakaya, Surya Koti Samaprabha, Nirvignam Kurume Deva, Susarvakarye Susarvada. I humbly ask Lord Ganesh to forgive my errors as I pray today and to remove all obstacles in acts of goodness. I ask for the blessings of Lord Shiva, the guidance of my Guru Manandmai and the guidance of my parents, who serve as my gurus in this planet. Asatoma sadgamaya, tamasoma jyotirgamaya, mrutyoyma amrutam gamaya. Dear Lord, lead me from lies to truth, from darkness to light, from death to divine consciousness. This prayer guides us today as we enter into a conversation about what it means to lean into love. Hinduism is best explained or best understood as a web of philosophies, a web of religious practices. It's not organized in the linear ways that we often think of religion being organized. That is one of its greatest gifts in that we can practice and pray and believe in all kinds of ways and the varying ways in which we achieve oneness with the supreme being is what is meant by the word yoga in this country we hear the word yoga and we think of a physical act and a practice but the word yoga actually means the path and so there are many paths to God and we are encouraged to follow as many of these paths as we can. That's why there's different kinds of yoga practices that you might see, right? So when you go to a place that does yoga and you hear about working out, there's vinyasa yoga, there's hatha yoga. All of these are the idea that there are multiple ways. One is through our physical discipline, right? So that's discipline over our food, our bodies, our care. Another can be through the breath, prana yoga, Right? Managing the flow of the divine spirit through our body, through breath. Right? One of the others is karma yoga. Achieving the divine and oneness with the divine through our actions. Today I want to talk to you about karma yoga. Because Hinduism is such a diverse web of philosophies, we have multiple religious texts. But there is one religious text that is a touchstone for us and that is the Bhagavad Gita. The Bhagavad Gita is actually an excerpt out of a much larger epic tale known as the Mahabharata. The story of the Mahabharata is the story of the Pandav brothers and their cousins, the Kuravs. In this tale, things transpire that the Pandavs, five brothers, are put into posi- a position of having to go to war against their cousins, numbering in the hundreds. Because they must do this, 
one of the five brothers, Arjun, who is the warrior and the kind of the hero of the Bhagavad Gita, um, is taken to the site of the battle, to the battlefield, in a chariot driven by Lord Krishna, the divine God. And during this journey to the battlefield, Arjun begins to ask Krishna questions. Why do I have to do this? How can I kill my brother? What is the purpose of everything that my family has suffered? And it is this conversation that becomes the Gita, a question and answer between God and his humble servant. Chapter two is the chapter on karma yoga, the path of knowledge and finding divine good. And in this chapter, in verse 47, Krishna gives us the central guidance of Hindu philosophy. Nishkam karma, action without expectation. The verse reads, Thy right is to work only, but never to its fruits. And let not the fruit of action be thy motive, nor let thy attachment be to inaction. Now, I don't know about you, but this is a relatively confusing and difficult thing to wrap my head around. I'm supposed to act not expect anything from it. So if I'm not going to get anything from it, I just won't do anything. But I'm not allowed to do that either. So <laughs> this one gets me every time and is also the thing that guides me every time. And I was saying earlier that um, whenever I have the gracious opportunity to, to do something like this, I do it because I love sharing my, my tradition and my love for God through this work. But it ultimately is always also me talking to myself, and all of you get to listen, <laughs> right? And so this action without expectation is kind of in my face right now. Um, I work at the university, and we're obviously thinking about the current situation regarding COVID-19 and how we're going to move forward. I've been planning some events, and maybe they won't happen. And so I was a little frustrated this morning. And then I remembered that I was coming here and I opened my Gita and I thought, okay, fine. You don't have to be this blatant, <laughs> right? <laughs> so the idea of action without expectation and yet not moving to inaction, I think is for me the definition in many ways of ahimsa, selfless love. What does it mean to act, to know that we are vessels and vehicles for God's divine plan, and at the same time, allow ourselves to be emptied of our ego so that we don't interfere with that plan? That question is one that I think best serves us when we think about how we choose to be with those who are different from us, whether it's in our day-to-day relationships, in a conversation, all the way up to when we make big decisions around policy and practice and behavior as, as a nation, right? And so for me, I, I think that the most important element of this of this verse, and the question that it always tells me to ask myself is, can you get out of your own way? And what does it mean to get out of your own way so that you can be one with your best self? Now, I don't succeed at it all the time, maybe not even half the time, 
<laughs> but it gives me a compass. It gives me a map, a road map, in which to think about my actions, in which to think about how I move in this world. So what Lord Krishna is telling Arjun here is that you have these expectations of what it means to be a brother. You have these expectations of how to be part of your family. You have these expectations of honor. The story has unfolded that one of the five Pandav brothers, the five Pandav brothers are actually married to the same woman, Draupadi, and Draupadi's honor is violated during a conversation. Um, and so that's what leads to, to, the, to the war. It's sort of the tipping point in the whole storyline, right? And so Krishna is saying, you know, you have these expectations of this is how things should happen. But the thing is that it's not your expectations that brings you here, nor is it your expectations that will see you through this, nor is it your expectations that will create the results. There is a divine order. Your job is to walk this earth and with each step fulfill your karma, your righteous path, your duty to leave this world better than what you found it. And the only way to do that is to both know that you are the vehicle and empty yourself of your attachment to being that vehicle. And in doing so, as somebody who does social justice work, I think about this all the time, I am honor-bound to share messages of justice. It is my duty to always speak truth to power. Right? You know, we, we all know the very um, popular uh, quotation about when they came for this group, I didn't speak up. When they came for this group, I didn't speak up. When I came, right? So that the idea of I'm bound, honor bound to speak without saying that I have, I am so important that if I speak, something will change, right? This is similar to some of the conversations I've often heard from and read about um, from folks who worked in the civil rights movement. We may not be here to see the fruits of our labor, but that doesn't mean that we don't try, that we don't do the work that we must do to get to a place where we have an inclusive and just world. And so as Krishna continues to go through this, right, he tells us that there is an art to living, and that art to living is in the spirit of divine inspiration. But it is our mind that tells us right, that we can control our actions, that we can control our outcomes, and the mind leads us astray. Our job is to follow spirit that the future is carved out, maybe not in a pessimistic, fixed sort of way, but rather in a way that the divine is always working towards a profound, compassionate, infinite love for all of the divine's family, all of the children of the divine, right? Each and every one of us. We, in our minds, are much smaller than we think. Right? We are big enough to do our part and small enough to not have to worry about the results. And it is an act of liberation. It frees us from that power 
of saying we can make it one way or the other, and yet gives us room to always have agency to act. That said, we cannot allow ourselves to sit back. And I think sometimes this is tricky, right? If I can't convince you to agree with me, then why bother to have the conversation? How many of us often say, hey, let's just agree to disagree, right? That's a, that's a tricky, you know, it's like we kind of feels really respectful and it sort of keeps us from, from rocking the boat a little bit, right? But at the same time, it can reveal and reflect an inaction. Because my duty is not to make sure you and I are friends. My duty is to see the God in you and believe in your ability to understand that which is unlike you. So then I have to speak up. I can't stay quiet. Now, how I speak up is definitely up for discussion. (laughs) And there may be better ways and worse ways, and we can always talk about those kinds of things differently. But the question is, can we understand that we all have the capacity to see the divine light in anyone who stands in front of us? Because if we believe that, then inaction really isn't that tempting anymore. Inaction is usually the place we go to when we feel pretty downtrodden, when we feel like it's not going to matter, right? And we're like, you know what? Screw it. I'm not doing it. Let it go. I'm walking away, right? That usually comes from a place where we don't feel like we can affect any change, and here's a verse that's telling us, don't expect change. So that gets, that's where I start getting really confused, right? I get in the weeds about that. And then I realize that the, that the invitation is that I, my expectation, right, is not about change. But there is an expectation I am allowed to have. And that is the expectation that if I get out of the way, I can, like every single human being, every single living and breathing being on this earth, be filled with the spirit of the divine. Not only can I be, I am. And if I just let myself know that, right, I become part of a much bigger matrix, matrix of action. Right? And this is the beauty of the, of the conversation around karma. So oftentimes we hear the word karma and we're taught to this idea that, oh, your karma is fixed and like it's predestined or predetermined. You know, and I, when I was a kid, I would say to my parents, well, if we already know what's going to happen, why bother? Right? Like, I'm, and you know, it's, it's very convenient when you're a teenager. I have a fight with my dad and he'd be like, I don't understand why you're behaving this way. And I'd be like, it was pre-planned, dad. We were going to fight. You know, it's very convenient, (laughs) right? And and it was explained to me, you know, a a family guru who came and stayed with us, he said to me, well, let's talk about that. Maybe karma is fixed. We definitely have a journey. We we, we signed a, a spiritual contract when we came to this earth to fulfill desires. That's what Hinduism believes, that I have these desires that I've carried over from previous lifetimes, and I'm here to learn how to complete those desires and not pick up any more. That's kind of the goal. Right, um, but how I am engage with those—that's on me. I have agency. I have power in my own actions. So if it is my karma, right, 
to be someone who has a relationship where my father is exposed to things he wouldn't be exposed to before, I can do that in big fight sort of ways, or I can do that in interesting conversation sort of ways, or I can do that in all kinds of ways, right? And so what I can control is how I fulfill my karma, okay? And so then what becomes important here, right? And then so when I would say that to my dad, like, karma is this fixed thing, and I'm, I, I, I don't, what does it even matter? He would tell me, but your karma first and foremost, right, is a path of righteousness. And so how are you going to do that? How are you going to fulfill your desires so that you don't end up with more? How are you going to choose your path? Right? I often tell my nephew, we're, we're, we're going to go do this one task. You can drag your way there or you can come along willingly. But it's happening, right? We're here. We're in this lifetime. We're in this world. And we are facing the things we are facing. We are facing the difficulties and the joys. We are facing the complexities and the simplicities. We are facing the crises and the resolutions. They're here. We all signed on. There's a reason that we are alive in this generation, not the one before and not the one after. You can come along. You can drag your feet. It's just going to... Your feet are going to get heavy. (laughs) Right? Or you can come along willingly. And so karma yoga asks us to think about how we engage in the actions that are laid in front of us. This verse asks us, can you step out of your own way? such that you can also be and fulfill the vehicle for the divine that you are meant to be. Because at the heart of Hinduism is an understanding that each and every living, breathing being is a piece of the soul that we know is the supreme consciousness. Brahma the creator, Vishnu, the preserver, Shiva, the destroyer. This trinity for us in Hinduism represents the supreme consciousness. And every soul that walks this earth is simply a small piece of that. And our goal, the soul inside of us, lives, breathes, and seeks its way back to that collective supreme consciousness. And this guidance, the Gita, offers us so much about how we can find our way back to that supreme consciousness. We can do it in this lifetime. That's what a guru does. A guru simply means one who lights the path. Right? So there may be somebody who is already enlightened, who has already found their way, but chooses to hold on to their worldly body so they can teach others. Right? But anyone who lights your path is a guru. Sometimes my nephew is my guru. He teaches me so much. Right? So, 
I just wanted to talk about this one very small yet central component of Hinduism. The Gita is 18 chapters long. Um, it is literally a conversation. The whole thing is question and answer. And oftentimes when we uh, worship and sing the Gita, we sing the question and answer back and forth. And so it's a book that is incredibly profound. It's a great entryway into learning about Hinduism. Um, and it's one that like all religious texts, you just keep reading it over and over again, and every time there's a new and vibrant lesson that comes through. Um, and I really appreciate the opportunity to share these experiences with you. And I invite all of you to think about your own karma, to consider the ways in which you do practice nishkam karma and the ways in which you can practice it even more deeply and fully. Namaste. Thank you so much. That was really wonderful. That gave us a lot to think about. And I'm sure for many of us, um, some new things that we didn't know. So as we close now, we invite you to stay for for lunch if you haven't already eaten. Uh, We're glad to welcome you here. And I will give you this blessing. Live without fear. Your creator has made you holy, has always protected you, and loves you as a mother. Go in peace to follow the good road, and may God's blessing be with you always. Amen.